0: It's easy to just look at a, a technical solution that by today's standards looks kind of bad and go, "What's the point of this?" But yeah, a lot of this stuff there, there's just there's a lot of like little esoteric edges in banking and like a lot of this stuff, it's there for a reason. you're right. so if you want to replace it, you really have to understand it at a deep level)
1: You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com.
2: Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. I'm taking this one on the road from Texas. We're in Dallas today, connected with Jim Brewster. He's the co-founder and president of Treasury Prime. Jim, hello, thanks for coming on. Would love if you'd give uh, an intro of yourself and tell us about Treasury Prime.
0: Yeah, thanks, Sledge. glad to be here. So I'm one of the co-founders, along with Christine of Treasury Prime. Aside from that, my title is President. But what we do at Treasury Prime is we're building a new infrastructure for banks and fintechs, and our goal is to make it as easy as possible for developers, fintechs, to connect through APIs to connect to the banking system so that they can embed banking products in their own apps and build new and innovative uh, financial apps. We want to make that super easy.
2: So, I mean, I'm reminded of like the stories I heard years ago of of Stripe, you're adding extra sort of accessibility layers to what is an antiquated and Byzantine type of, of infrastructure and just making that programmatically accessible, I would imagine. Is that Sort of the main. Yeah, thing. I think
0: that's a. I think that's a reasonable comparison. I think you know com- companies like Tri- Stripe or Twilio, um, right? What they've done is they've taken an industry that is run in really legacy technology and historically has been really tough for developers um, and startups to connect to and use, and then basically done the hard work once to connect to that infrastructure, and then made it really easy and given a, a modern developer platform, um, and and just supported folks who want to use that to embed in either their existing apps or to build new, you know, in our case, usually fintech apps um, on top of that infrastructure.
2: I'm reminded of the the adage that nobody got rich in the gold rush by finding gold. They just got it by selling shovels. Is that
0: a <laughs> <some laughs> proposition here? So. Yeah, I think that's, uh, we, we we like that. We like that adage too. Although, you know, I think that in certainly our customers, at least in fintech right now, there are a lot of people getting rich finding gold. And, um, I, you know, we see our role roles to support them and, and share in that success in whatever way we can. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: You, you totally have heard that before then. That was a really smooth answer. Your PR <laughs> agent would be very proud of you. So, so. Well, that's good.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we're here in, we're based in Northern California and, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that everybody knows about the gold rush out here. Yeah. So. Right. Right. Yeah.
2: So what's your, you know, what's your personal path and journey to, I mean, now you like executive and, and sort of co-founder position. Everybody gets there a different way. I'd uh, love to, to hear the, you know, the founder journey, like how'd you end up where you are?
0: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I mean, Chris and I founded Treasury Prime um, just about three and a half years ago now in uh, the tail end of 2017. And, you know, really what we were, the problem we were trying to solve here is and kind of what I mentioned before. We wanted to make it as easy as possible for folks to start interesting fintech or applications or, or otherwise embed banking services in their apps. And historically this has been really hard. You know, you go back fintech's super hot now, so it's easy to forget, but 10 years ago, if you wanted to build um, even a basic kind of fintech app or fintech startup, you know, boy, there was just a ton of work went on the on the front end of that process, working with banks, trying to connect to their systems. I mean in the United States basically every bank is running as its core processing system a piece of software that's 30 40 years old and that's a real challenge for a small company um, and so we really saw that this problem is not solved uh and that's why we started treasury prime you know our, our our sort of mission though goes back even further than that um, and the way I sort of started on this path was back in i think 2013 I joined another startup called Standard Treasury and the founder CEO there was a good friend of ours now investor uh, for us his name is Dan Kimmerling we like to call him the mayor of fintech cuz we've been because we've been doing it a long time but but our mission back then was was pretty much the same right where we wanted to make this problem really easy for developers we worked on that company for a little over 2 years ended up selling it to Silicon Valley Bank and basically our team became the in-house API fintech team at SVB. We worked there for two years and then uh, most of us left. And uh, Chris and I thought that this was still a problem that hadn't been solved, at least to our satisfaction. And so we wanted to keep going with it. And so here we are at Treasury Prime. So, all in, we've been doing this for like something like eight years now. Although this latest incarnation is, you know, three.
2: Yeah, right. I get that. And the continued learning and iteration of uh, what is the same problem set but like you've got this you know macro world that is moving all around that so it's not like you would even go about solving the problem the same way you have these sort of maybe first principles that are the same but i'm sure everything has evolved and even your thinking and like is the is the approach even the same i mean nothing is like it
0: was eight years ago yeah i would say the product is is pretty similar uh, ultimately but the way that we've sort of built the business and the way that we've, the strategy we've taken is completely different. You know, back then, it, it seems like maybe not that long ago, but back then, every bank in the US, you know, basically wanted on-premise software, just like it was, you know, 1995 or something. And so our whole business model had to be built around that, it had to be built around like very traditional enterprise sales, where you're selling a big license up front, maybe million dollars, and then you're selling a service contract. And boy, you know, that just makes everything a lot harder. I mean, we could only sell to the biggest banks who are the slowest moving. And honestly, fintech was so new, you know, the sort of demand side, if you want to think about it that way, wasn't there because the market was just so small. And, you know, in the past eight years, all that's changed. I mean, it was actually probably the biggest change was in 2015 when Capital One decided to move all of their infrastructure to AWS because overnight, basically the whole industry decided cloud services are the way to go. Which is great if you're if you're us or frankly, if you're any other startup or vendor for banks, you know they're just bringing themselves into the modern era of computing. so that completely changed our business model. It means that we can we can work with many more banks, um, we can build our software much quicker, we can bring the prices down for everybody so that was a huge change. and so yeah, I think ultimately similar product, but all the business conditions around this have changed
2: and and probably will again, I mean the next. Next decade, everything will be oh, wildly yeah. different.
0: Absolutely. I mean, can you remember back in 2013? Like, you know, what was what was crypto doing? You know, how many fintechs were out there? Uh, you know, how many how many fintech IPOs? Were, I mean, th- we're just in a completely completely different world, and and for the banks too, right? I think even especially this past year during the pandemic, right? The the banks in the United States are at this like tail end of a, I don't know, 150 year cycle, right? Where basically their businesses have been built around local geographic monopolies, right? You think about it like in, you know, the old West times or even as late as the, probably the 1980s, how do you run a bank? How do you grow a bank? You you put a branch down in a town and you get convinced the businesses and the people who live in that town to bank with you. Well, you know, now we have the internet. And you know, back in the early 90s we legalized interstate banking and it's just a completely different market now. And you can see this in the way the industry is consolidating. back in like I think the high water mark was 1987. we had about 15,000 banks in the US. Today we have about 4,500. You can pretty much draw a straight line, you know the, the net number of banks that goes down every year. And you know what that's going to is it's saying everyone in this industry is realizing they need a new strategy to address the next 5, 10, 50 years of how to run a good bank in the US. And so, you know, this is something that we can help them with, where we can say, hey, there's this new market that you can access. It's it's fintechs. They can bring you really awesome deposits. They can be great customers. They have large technical requirements compared to your other customers. But if you can get over that hump and that's where we help out, then that can be a great business. And so we think that that, that could be a really strong growth strategy for, you know, the, the forward-looking banks today. So I, I think the next 10 years of banking are going to see just an immense amount of change, you know, probably more than the last hundred years combined. You just talked about
2: it more as a, a matchmaking almost kind of vibe than I imagined. So do you have this sort of, because you're that layer in the middle, it's like the modern middleware almost, like you have to then make that integration palatable to the big bank and then make the publicly available or at least customer available APIs there. So. Is, is each of those backends like unique in a sense? And then you make the front end the same Not front end, the headless front end, I guess.
0: So. Yeah, I, that's I think that there, there are a couple of factors there that you're touching on that are super important to the business. One is you're you're right that banks, because of the legacy technology stack that generally U.S. banks are running. Right. And this goes back. Th- these are systems that were built 30, 40 years ago in a lot of cases. They're super uh, heterogeneous, right, where one bank to the next. It's not the same. And so you're right. When we go and we hook up to these systems, it ends up being a pretty tricky problem in a lot of cases, because every piece of infrastructure they're running that we have to integrate with can be totally different. And so part of our job, big part of our job, is kind of rationalizing that for our developers and saying, what's the API that we can build that'll be a great developer experience that'll feel modern, make it really easy for you to build your app and get it in front of your customers, and not have to worry about all that stuff that's happening under the covers. And how do we do that across multiple banks? It's it takes, you know, some some strong engineering is the is, is the only real answer, right?
2: Yeah, because they need to know, like endpoint X, like means the same thing apples to apples across institutions or I mean, at, at some point, does that fall apart as far as like there's just simply is no taxonomy match to this piece of thing that we're trying to match?
0: You know, we try our best to make sure that we're that we're not doing, you know, custom one-off work. You know, most and but you know, honestly, that's not super different than any other enterprise software company, right? Customers, you know, especially big customers, they always have something, some foible that they'd like you to help them with, and so you know, there are times that we that we'll do that. But um, you know, I think we do our best to make sure that it's as it's a standard and as easy for our developers as we can, because you know, the reality is too is that that's what that's what the customers want. I mean, a big part of what we do, you know, aside from that, is like we do need to help the banks um, build their own systems, just operationally, and give them the tools they need to to manage these customers, right? Aside from just the technology, right? Banks have all sorts of regulatory compliance requirements, and it's super important for us to give them the tools that they need to, you know, pass their audits and and keep their regulators happy and and um, and you know give them the visibility and everything that's happening in the system. You know, in, in a lot of ways, this is like a new class of customer for them. And so, you know, a big part of this is that they have to know how to, how to deal with it and make it a profitable business for them.
2: Sure. And they, you know, the customer success is different and the way you got to handle the communications and just, these are not the types of, of clients that are going to, you know, sort of get in the old customer service line and wait on hold and uh, Absolutely. submit their email and get a response and, you know, 48 hours, if you're lucky, you know, mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of thing, like the expectation across the operating landscape changes. Yeah, so it's so much. It's I mean, a real mindset shift.
0: I mean, just as like one illustration of that, you know, when we're talking about, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a fintech startup and I have customers and, you know, they have an implicit, like any tech company, they have this implicit assumption that, you know, their service is going to be on 24 seven. And, you know, anytime your customer opens up the app and clicks the button, it should work. And that's a reasonable and good assumption. But, you know, for the most part, that's not necessarily the assumption operationally that banks have baked in, right? Banks run on banking days and they run, you know, nine to four. And a big challenge for us and part of what, you know, we try and solve so that our developers, our fintechs don't have to is like, what do you do, for example, when the bank systems are, uh, you know, taking taking a break at the end of the day to like close their books, right? I mean- it's it's baked into their systems even at the lowest levels this idea of like hey we could do something at the end of the day when there are no customers using the system but that's not the reality we face anymore right
2: yeah yeah it's like we got to run our as 400 batch for the next 12 and a half hours and systems will be offline until 3 a.m that's
0: it (laughs) i i see you've uh, had some contact with the banking system before
2: (laughs) done a little work there yeah a little work there Yes, I was the guy that got to stay up and refresh the database at two o'clock in the morning. Yep. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. there's, there's still a lot of that, you know?
2: Yeah. And it must deal some nice Oracle databases out
0: there. You know what? That's I, think, I think if you're on Oracle, uh, you're probably ahead of the curve when we're talking about the <laughs> median bank system. So, uh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, and that's,
2: yeah, that's fantastic. And that's
0: not to say anything bad about, you know, the bankers. I mean, they're doing in general, like what we find with the banks we work with is these folks, you know, they're, run, they're doing their best to run their business and they generally do a great job at being bankers. The, the part that, you know, where they often get stuck and, you know, to some extent banks maybe unfairly get maligned by technologists is that they're just not engineering shops. Right. And that's okay. Why should they have to be? Um, well,
2: you had to do this stuff for a hundred years, you know, it's it's like saying a, a the phone system isn't good because we <laughs> had the first one. You know, like it, it runs on copper, like that's all that that's all that we could do. You know, at that time, so that's right. The the job for many of us as as technologists would be upgrade the plane while you're flying it. You know, that's that's a far more challenging problem than just well, if we could plow the road, what would we start over and do? Well, if we had to plow the road and start over, we wouldn't be the leaders and wouldn't have this problem in the first place.
0: Yeah. It's like, you um, know, if uh if, if the if the airplane you're flying on is too noisy, you don't necessarily blame Delta Airlines, right? They didn't build the airplane. They're at the mercy of whatever the market provides. They have the choice of Boeing or Airbus, right? And and so, you know, our stance on this is like let's Let's add some competition here. let's let's build some new infrastructure that the banks can rely on and um, and just be a great vendor for them. And we think we can kind of move the whole market forward that way.
2: yeah, absolutely. And there's this vertical disintermediation that that's happening across all these industries where you would have had to bake your middleware in between systems in your own data center. And now essentially, this world is your your data center, and you can do, so many things it's orders of complexity more but you don't have to bake that into your own organization so that i mean the change management involved in in this kind of stuff any enterprise you know offering is just so big yeah and that's you right could, you can explain you can explain your head off on why this is a good idea to do you're still dealing with humans who have been like you say doing their best job with what they had yeah at this time and change for the sake of change isn't healthy either.
0: The reality of banks too, especially when it comes to the sort of technical side is that they face a regulatory environment that other, most tech companies don't. And, you know, that, that slows things down. And, you know, I think that there are, there are better and worse ways to, to deal with that, but it's, it's just a, it's a little bit of a different ball game than, you know, I started my career at Facebook and, you know, when Facebook can pretty much build what they want, right? And that's that's awesome. But um, just necessarily, when you're dealing with banks in the financial system, or you're dealing with other regulated companies, it's it's tougher to get them to move as quick. Um, well, sure,
2: right. I mean, the liability is so much higher, and you can't just, you know, sort of move fast and break everybody's money.
0: That's right. So <laughs> that's right. People get mad if you can't, if you, uh, if you don't keep track of their money well. So we, you know. I and mean, you
2: talk about like, you know, no fault tolerance, right? I mean, who, who among us would be okay if, like, there was a a bug in the transfer of our money? Yeah. And I mean, that's that's not okay, right? It's, so you no, need to have not. like nearly flawless.
0: One way I talk about it um, to folks who are are maybe thinking about joining our engineering team as they look for a company like Facebook, right? If they get a massive volume of traffic, I mean, you know, many orders of magnitude more than probably all the banks combined in the country. Right. So much bigger than we'll ever be. But the reality is if Facebook drops one HTTP request and you have to click the like button a second time, it's going to be okay. Right. For us, (laughs) The, the number of requests is maybe much, much lower. But like, if you drop that one request, that's a like a wire transfer or something. Yeah, not okay. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just it's a little bit of a different business, you have to be more careful, necessarily. And so you know, that also just goes to like, we, we need to build these tools and really help our banks out to, to give them what they need to manage this stuff, to, to stay compliant, and to really feel comfortable, you know, In this new world and banking this new market
2: how did you design an organization that was competent to talk on both sides of that i mean you're almost like doing the macro version of the people that kind of sit at the product layer in an org that needs to talk to the business users and talk to you know the outside clients like you're you're an abstracted liaison and I know that building organizations like that is hard. The same people who know the insides of a enterprise banking system don't know the stuff that goes on in, you know, super startup fintech world. So what's that like? Yeah. You're not a big company. What do you have? 30 something people, right? So like, what's that like to put together that balance from of humans?
0: Yeah. Uh, it, that's a really astute question, right? Because because you're exactly right. The two sort of sides of our problem, the banks and the startups, are they couldn't be more different. I mean, everything, right? Between the sales cycle and their needs and their expectations, and even you know who, who you're talking to in, in the company in terms of like making a sale, or um, you know, <laughs> the, just the the languages they speak. I mean, literally in terms of like the lingo, right? Totally different. So like yeah I I wouldn't recommend that to any startup. I mean <laughs> that's a it's a terrible idea honestly. Like, you know, having two constituencies like that. Pick one. That's enough, right? One is hard enough. But yeah, how did we how did we do it? I mean, kind of we did it by accident, I think, right? We frankly our our last company, Standard Treasury, you know, 8 years ago, there was a ton we didn't know. I mean, there's still a ton we don't know, but back then, even more so. You know, I think we even more tons. And you know, I think we've had this advantage where, you know, we've we've seen this problem from the startup side as we tried to build it. And then we, because we worked at Silicon Valley Bank, we saw this from inside the bank and we got that perspective and, you know, learned learned how to speak to bankers. And, um, you know, I think that's, maybe that's the magic, right? Just that we've sort of been on both sides of it. One thing that I'm like sort of amazed by as we have gone along here is that Is that kind of there isn't more overlap between the Silicon Valley, you know, West Coast world and the and the banking East Coast world? You'd think just given, I don't know, the reality of you know VC or, um, I mean, there are plenty of tech companies in New York now. You'd think you'd have more overlap, but in our experience, it's just there's really not. And bankers in general. They don't know how to talk to startups. They don't necessarily have that intuition for what they need, and vice versa too. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it. We've definitely that's a big role we serve here is bridging that gap, even though it's it's tough. And
2: you don't often hear about the SaaS position, like it's just like the disposition that I I made the. I guess the simile to stripe at the beginning and i understand why you would have to tell that story from an investment standpoint and things like like that but it it is in fact wildly different uh, that you would have to be you take on that consultative trusted advisor role in a way that you know a SaaS company would often be advised you know sort of stay away from the service side you you can't do that don't become a consulting company you know sort of all those those things. But I, I imagine that's just absolutely unavoidable in such a complex playing field.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think that we don't consider ourselves a consultant and, you know, that's not a direction that we want to go. We definitely could see ourselves as a product company and as a tech company. I do think that, you know, kind of like I said before, like any enterprise software company, there is a reality where bigger customers are going to ask you for stuff that sometimes is going to be custom and you have to decide how to handle that. And so sometimes we do but it's it's definitely not the majority of what we do. I think that you know like your your point about Stripe or some of the other SaaS companies being different is is a good one. I mean the the advantage that like let's say a Twilio for example has here is you know even though they're connecting to this sort of legacy infrastructure that you know in their case it's telecom. You know for Twilio there's there's what there's 3 4 big telecoms in the US and you know if you integrate with AT&T well you can send a text message anywhere and that's good enough. And it's not quite true for banking. I mean, you know, we certainly have competitors out in the market who are taking more like that approach, where they're going to say, we're going to integrate with one bank, and that'll do everything, and, you know, developers, you know, don't worry about it. Like, we got, you, we got it covered. But, you know, and maybe this goes to our banking experience, too. A thing that we know is that banks are really different, right? They're not, they're not actually perfectly interchangeable. Different banks have different focus areas. They run different businesses. They have different compliance specialties. You know, they're able to maybe give better or worse rates on different products, depending on if you're in or out of their specialty. And so, you know, really our company, we built it from day one to try and have that kernel baked into the model where we really want the bank to be an active partner here too, not just the fintech. And, you know, maybe the pithy way of saying this is like, at scale, every fintech has a relationship with their bank, you know, and maybe that seems obvious, but like, how could you not? It's, it's, you know, it's probably the most important business relationship that you have if you're a fintech. So, you know, we really, we really don't want to hide that. We want to kind of bring those partnerships to the front and really have everybody share in the success. And we just think that's the best model.
2: Yeah. And that is fundamentally different. I mean, I think that in this I don't know, in the paradigm of of an API layer, you would just disappear the back like it just doesn't matter. We're totally agnostic, you know, And, and I don't think that in this context that that makes sense, not to mention that banks are constantly being bought, consolidated, sold, you know, like you're that interface if you were only to depend on one of them would be uh, a substantial business risk so i yeah. i think uh, as you know as an
0: engineer i use my like silicon valley engineer mind here and and like yeah that's like the first thing i go to too right it's like what as a developer why should you have to worry about it right but you're right th- there are all these risks and and i think the the longer you work in in fintech the longer the more you understand you see if you if you build your product that way you're sweeping some of these, some of these risks, whether they're business risks or or technical risks under the rug. And we don't want to do that. And so we want to build a system where we can make it just as easy for you to interact with the system, but we're, we're exposing that stuff. And we're really bringing the bankers in as a, as a true partner who can help you build your business rather than, you know, some, some shadowy figure, you know, behind the curtain that you know who, who knows what decisions they're making at that point right we really want them at the table
2: right absolutely
0: so i i love how that's evolved then in your brain you know over
2: time there can you distill the the lessons from the the founder journey a little bit you know and just say i, I wish i knew or here are the things to look out for or here's what i here's what i learned that you know is applicable to to other types of founders sure
0: yeah, I mean I think like for us, a thing that really helped us as we were starting Treasury Prime, and, and I think continues to help us, right? And you see it in the model. It, it's just the fact that we've been on both sides of this. And we've, we've we're startup people, you know we're engineers, we're we're product focused, but we've also worked at the bank. We've built this stuff internally for them. and so we've really seen both sides of the table, and we've tried to build a model that can bring those two sides together. And I think that, you know, our product is really designed from the ground up, not just to help the fintech, but to help the banks too. This is such a tough, tough market because because it's regulated, because there's so many banks, because these systems are so old and entrenched. And, you know, I I think it's part of the reason standard treasury, we ended up selling it and as opposed to, you know, continuing to grow it is, is just because it was really rolling the boulder uphill because it's such a tough market and i think you really need that kind of on the ground insight to be able to sort of crack the nut and um i, I don't know that we would have been able to do it if we had an been on both sides of the table so i mean maybe there's like no replacement for experience or something would be like a a pithy <laughs> Probably, way of right? saying yeah.
2: that yeah yeah but if, uh, maybe if you were addressing a legacy system i mean the lesson would be then you know just at least be aware of both sides i think the maybe the older version of, you know, disruption would have been like, get these legacy losers out of the way. They don't know what they're doing. You know, we're we're startups. We're so fast. We're nimble. Um, And I think you can lose sight of the idea that, like that's there for a reason. And it's a really good reason. And there are people that have been doing that for 50 years. And you might need to talk to the guy doing the COBOL. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and. And all those things, like if we become dismissive of the past, we lose the lessons of the past. Those were startups at some point, too, and they were doing the best they could
0: to cobble together the technology of the day. That's right. And and in their day, I'm, I'm sure it was super impressive, right? But you're right. It's, it's easy to just look at a, a technical solution that by today's standards looks kind of bad and go, what's the point of this? But yeah, a lot of this stuff. there's just, there's a lot of like little esoteric edges in banking and like a lot of this stuff, it's there for a reason. You're right. Um, So if you want to replace it, you really have to understand it at a deep level. Right. Right. Absolutely. Put your futurist
2: hat on a little bit, you know, zoom out a a few years or like, it's maybe not another eight, but uh, things are moving fast. What do you see are the, you know, sort of key areas that, that you guys are thinking about from a strategic standpoint?
0: Yeah, great question. You know, our belief is that there's just so much interesting innovation happening in banking and fintech right now. It is really tough to predict, right? Between what what the incumbent banks are doing, between what a lot of these great fintechs are doing, you know, many of them are our customers, um, between what the what the crypto world is doing, you know, nobody knows what's going to shake out there. It's just, it's such an interesting time. It's so fast moving. I think all of this was accelerated by the pandemic, Right. Like if 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 banks really were getting finally starting to get the message that opening up a new branch was not going to be a sustainable growth path, like boy, the pandemic really cemented that. So I I think everybody, even the incumbents now, are looking for solutions. They're saying, "What's going to get me growth? You know, next year, the year after, ten years from now." So I think it's really hard to predict. You know, we see our job as like, let's grow and support. Um, all these awesome fintechs that are building cool new products. Um, and let's support our banks that are in our network. Let's support them you know, accessing that new market and really being able to participate in whatever the next generation of banking and fintech looks like. And I, I think there's just going to be a lot of exciting new stuff in the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. On the hiring path then? Absolutely. Yeah. We have basically, we have roles open right now in, in Basically every department. So yeah, absolutely. And you know, we just closed our, our Series B fundraise. I did see that?
2: Congratulations.
0: Um, yeah, it fe- you know feels good to to have that validation, and and certainly, um, you know, we've got we've got plenty of capital, and so I think we're we're really building out our team to to meet the opportunity. And so, yeah, any anyone listening who uh, who is interested in this problem, do send us an email.
2: It Pays better than the treasury prime rate. So. <laughs> this time. <laughs> right. Jim, thanks. If anybody wants to contact you, you know, uh, professional or otherwise, uh, what's the best channels?
0: Uh, yeah, you can just email me. I'm uh, Jim at treasuryprime.com. Always happy to, to hear from folks, either potential customers or employees or just interested folks.
2: Well, thanks so much for joining. I'd love the insights. Really fun to talk about the industry. Look forward to tracking you guys down the road. Thanks, Ledge. Good to be here.
0: Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.